But what Google's not doing is, uh, is giving money to organizations um, th like that are independent. In fact, Facebook, what they're doing, because they don't want to become a regulator because it costs money, it's too hard. They're just like, fuck it. We all shut down all the far right, but also all the left, all the independent media. We'll just, we'll just kick it all off. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to Thomas Barlow, who is an eight-year veteran of independent media as a journalist and a manager and chief operations officer and project manager at Bywire News. Thomas, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. Thanks. No problem, man. So before we get started, uh, I have to plug two things real quick. First of all, um, my book, Brexit, the Establishment Civil War is now available to order. People can find it in the description below. There are links to my site, establishmentcivilwar.co.uk, where you can read some chapter previews. Go check it out if you're not convinced that you need to go and buy that book, because I personally feel you do, or my wallet does at least. And uh, also, thanks to our uh, sponsor, ExpressVPN, you can currently get 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN if you follow the link in the description below. So, Thomas... Why don't you tell us what Bywire News is in 60 seconds? Like, what's your elevator pitch? Cool. Well, we're the home of independent news. Essentially, Bywire is the place where you can find all independent news in one place. That's the goal that we've always set out to achieve. And within a month or so, you're going to actually see that become a reality. You know, uh, so... It, the, the, the basic principle is this. You have an app, a bit like your BBC News app or whatever else you use, um, and it has all the, all the news that you could want, but it comes from independent sources. And that's really key because independent media tends to uh, be stratified across many different types. You know, you've got, say, the New Internationalist does foreign affairs and global news, right? You know, or Al Dorado on Latin American news or Declassified UK investigative news or Byline Times on, you know, British politics and investigations. And, and there's all these different kinds of things, but no one independent media outlet has the scale or the size to provide a full new service. Well, And, and that means you might, through whatever uh, social media you use, have to be on you know liking 40 different pages on facebook or whatever and of course then you're not going to see everything they put out because guess what facebook pages only only one to three percent of anyone who likes a facebook page gets to see anything that that's posted by those people on those pages so we're just going to let you choose your news directly from whoever you want um for but solely independent sources so that's what it is it's the home of independent news which ironically sky news have decided to make their tagline so we'll be having a bit of fun with that in the future because um i mean an organization founded by rupert murdoch really doesn't have the right to use the term independent um but anyways we'll get into that some other time but that's what it is the home of independent news and what we'll eventually do is not only give audiences access to all the independent news, but also we'll make independent media a sustainable way for organisations to operate. So instead of being reliant on the state or corporate advertisers, we'll be able to rely on readers and on each other. So a lot of what you have sort of suggested in, in some of the stuff I've read and in some of the just general proposals for how we try and reform the media is the idea of, of blockchain-based decentralized media. And obviously that's that's something you guys are, are, are trying to put forward. For, for say someone who's coming in with like a very small understanding of what the blockchain is or maybe no understanding at all, what is the blockchain and what on earth does it have to do with news? Like uh, most people have only heard it in the context of say Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency. Sure. And actually blockchain is a technology. I mean, those are just operations that are done on, on, on blockchain. They're just things that have occurred. They're the, the most popular or most widely known because a lot of people have made a lot of money from them. Um, uh, and that's created a whole new sort of array of, of wealthy people who, who are unlikely candidates to be so. But that's not really what blockchain is about. Blockchain ensures immutability of data. And what does that mean? It means if you put something up, it stays there. And you can track every change that has ever occurred to that thing. For news, this is massive, right? This is massive because we've got three actors, essentially, who are trying to stop uh, or change news. News should be a permanent record. If you read a newspaper from the 1830s, 
whether it's entirely accurate or not, what you do know is that whatever was printed there was put there by the journalist. Now, you have a situation in this country where, like, um, Dominic Cummings was changing his own blog to pretend that he had uh, uh, predicted and been talking about COVID since December, uh, you know, 2019, which was, you know, only discovered through, like, very specific investigations by a journalist comparing, you know, specific elements. I mean, there was no way, easy way for people to know what he had been doing when. You had someone on your show um, talking about what had happened at Capitol Hill, a journalist who's who's literally accurately reporting and um, videoing what's occurring, so much so that it's used in Senate testimony, right? Is not allowed to post what they're putting on YouTube without com- commentary or colour because what social media, big tech social media platforms are about is about eliciting extreme emotion, to create virality, right? Like you get angry at something, you share it. Like that's, and that's how they make money. They want to keep your attention in there. So the advertisers get more time selling you stuff, right? Like that's that's their whole business model. Mm. And because of that, they've come up with a, a sort of form of corporate censorship where they're like, well, if you're not giving us that, we're going to delete your stuff. We're going to change it. We're going to change it retrospectively. We're going to take people off and on. This can't happen through the blockchain. The blockchain basically protects the source of information by storing it many, many different places all at the same time. So it can't be sort of wiped off one server, you know? So you've got, like I say, you've got YouTube, you've got, or or you've got YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of which are doing some form of corporate censorship. You've got individual actors like Dominic Cummings and people changing their blogs retrospectively, you know, news organizations regularly refusing to apologize for stuff. They just edit their article. They're like, oh, why should we hold our hands up for a, 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 an article that's had a million hits, even if it was a lie, it spread misinformation. In the case of the Daily Mail, for instance, has spread very dangerous misinformation that may have cost many, many lives around health information, right? Just as an example. Why bother apologizing for that, following any journalistic ethics, setting the record straight when we can just edit it and pretend we didn't really say what we said, but even though now millions of people think something because they're not going back to the article, you know. Uh, So those are another set of actors. But the third set of actors that are trying to change uh, news are governments. Uh, Governments are undertaking massive disinformation programs. Uh, We're talking Russia uh, and China are obvious examples because we always look at what other states are doing, right? Um, I mean, it's just that, like, um, when I say we are news organisations, especially the BBC, which is, you know, a very nationalist institution. But, of course, the British are undertaking massive disinformation campaigns. There are, it's reported, for instance, in Syria, we set up using the military disinformation campaigns to recruit people to our particular, for want of a better word, terrorist organisations that we're supporting, um, certainly, both, I think they're called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's say uh, allies in the war on terror. Um, um, we, we are involved in disinformation campaigns to unseat democratically uh, elected people in Latin America, uh, to de- destabilize peace processes, all sorts of things. So, our nation states are no different. Nation states have got into this game. They're also, by the way, you know. Uh, corporations like Google work very closely with secret intelligence agencies. Mm. It, it, and in fact, as far as you know, that they're, they're incorporating their nation states intelligence priorities into their governance, right? So nation states are operating through corporations and their own programs to spread disinformation. And a lot of that is about changing information as it comes out. So there's no actual factual, factual record of what occurs when it occurs. Again, blockchain saves that. So there's a very long explanation to say, like, here's the threat. And what it does is basically, as simply as possible, is it makes sure that when information is recorded, it stays recorded. No Mm. one can tamper with it. Like, so, you know, that's hugely important for journalism, Um, especially in an age where journalism is dying. Um, It's not going to die as in completely be wiped out because you still need commentators and opinion makers still need to have some reportage to talk about. But it's under such severe threat, it's so underfunded, it's so ill-respected that we're in, you know, grave danger of of, of journalism and and a a sort of code of 
of conduct and methods of gathering information and accurately reporting them being nearly killed off that we need a new way to do these things and um and this is it and the independent media is the best vehicle for this because the independent media are independent financially of vested interests they they are interested in telling truth to power you know so as such that they're the best vehicle to to showcase what this technology can do Wow, there's a lot there I want to address. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's all right, man, don't worry. This is this is what like podcasts are for, I always say. Um, you know, take as long as you want to answer because we have as long as we need. Um, that's why I love the format. So one of the things that I think you're addressing there that is incredibly crucial is the idea that for social media firms, these big companies like Google, like Facebook, like Twitter, our well-being and us having high quality journalism to consume is so far down their list of priorities. It's unfathomable. <laughs> they, they have zero, like, and I really mean zero incentive to make the platform uh, conducive to healthy debate, great journalism, um, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression. Like, that's not to say there aren't things that people shouldn't be allowed to say. I mean, if you're just sending death threats to people, like you should probably be kicked off, like the way you'd be thrown out of, of a bar or any, any normal thing. But the, 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 the priorities of, of Google and Facebook and whatnot are, are not our well-being and us making sure that we're, you know, well-informed, reasonable citizens capable of discussing topics in depth or that's, that's not their priority at all. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's not even in, in, in their like ballpark of possibilities of things. I, I think let's be straight about this. It's opposite to their interests. Their, their, their interests as profit-making organizations is purely to actually reduce us to our most base instincts to turn us into pa passive or active consumers uh, and to do so they you know they have to find the most addictive ways to uh deflect us from actually being interested in anything that actually materially affects us because of course if we got interested in the things that materially affected us and we were to like try to change them for instance uh, for the better of us that would include changing them their interests are very much tied in, uh, you know, they talk about themselves as disruptors, as technologies disruptors. There's nothing new under the sun about what's happening here. Capitalism always tends towards a monopoly. And what we've seen in the past, in the early age of the internet here, is uh, the opening of a new market and the monopolization uh, of that market. And now those big players have controllers. Uh, and control information and the flow of information, they're not going to give that up. They don't want to give that up. Uh, and to keep control of that, they have to have a passive population. So the, their business model is, is first off, it, it's important for them to just turn this into soporific, you know, drugged out consumers, right? But it's also in their political and organisational interest to make sure that we don't, like, for instance, organise, you know, like tech workers unionizing that's you know generally you don't want to spread the idea that unionization is good because you know that might mean your own workers unionize and you know some of these tech platforms are not like google might be totally web-based but you know it relies on technology that's produced through the blood of children who are mining coltan in the congo you know and then being it being shipped to china where people are throwing themselves off buildings right you don't want people to be advocating for global human rights or for workers' rights around the world. That's just, it's antithetical to your specific organisation and to capitalism in general and, and, and your capitalist organisation that, that benefits from this. So, so everything about your organisation, everything about what you do is, is um, you know, in terms of both profit-making and protecting your own interests, is, is set up to make sure that uh, us everyday citizens, we, we're not viewed as citizens. We are viewed as consumers and customers uh, and and banks of data to be mined and sold. And uh, we, we are, uh, our time on the internet is the modern oil, as someone said it. You know, we are being mined constantly. You know, digital data is, is oil. And, it, you know, they want to extract that from us and, and, you know, commodify it and sell it on and make cash from it. That's that's their only interest. And that's completely opposite to a well-functioning democratic society where citizens are informed. 
Yeah, and I, I also want to add there to, to that that these people don't just not care about about those priorities. Um, that they they actively like play act at virtue signaling about the causes that that people genuinely support in order to. I, I honestly believe like hide the true intentions of what they're attempting to do in harvesting data, dividing the population, ensuring that like good journalism is not getting out there. And, and they, they, they hide their true intentions by, you know, painting rainbows on the sides of everything, um, which is, which is like both damaging to the cause that, that, you know, the LGBT people are, are pursuing and just completely disingenuous at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, look, and, and you know, there's, there's the queer example is a good example. The LGBTQ thing is it, it, a good example because you know you've seen it in pride parades across the UK in the past couple of years. There's been a pushback against the police being involved in in pride, right? And corporations like Barclays, because you know they're what's called pinkwashing their reputations when you know these are the very organizations that benefited from oppressing them or, or were actively oppressed them, you know, um, oppress that community. And, and Google's no different. You know, uh, when Google supports tacitly or actively regimes that are actively homophobic, that, that uh, you know, ban the rights of people uh, to, uh, to practice, to be who they are, to be the human being that they are in places like, let's not forget, like say Saudi Arabia is a classic example, but there's plenty of other regimes that Google and and others are are working with. Um, Then, you know, they're, they're actively benefiting from the very oppression that they pretend to care about. And as you say, it's virtue signaling. It's, um, it's, for me, it's, it's, liberalism in its purest form which is to say what we'd like is to suggest that uh the world would be better if certain people had a seat at the table but nothing should fundamentally change so we should recognize as different communities and and get them involved but but get them involved in maintaining everything as it is so like it's not so everyone you know so as i say children can mine coltan you know kids can pick cotton and be sold into slavery still to this day you know uh, oil can be mined from war zones and genocides uh you know workers can be worked to death that's all fine but you know we've got a queer uh ceo we've got a diversity officer so it's all okay yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fine we, we've gone through the the stuff that makes our customers happy because we know that our customers because we know that our customers are human beings and human beings are as much as it's maligned and as much as we're afraid of the rise of the far right and so forth like that generally quite empathetic unless you're a sociopath or psychopath we literally have a psychological class for people who do not feel empathy and it ranks around about 1% of all humans at the top end mm. uh, don't feel empathy. We do feel empathy. We do want the world to be better for ourselves and for others. And we have a machinery of information that tries to suppress those human instincts at all points, because, you know, if we actually acted upon them and actually saw a world like that, it wouldn't be maintained. So, you know, I, I find, you know, a lot of that stuff, as you say, virtue signaling is the term that's often used. Um, pretty disgusting, quite frankly. You know, and let's, if you want to do something for people, let's let's really talk about it. Let's do something, you know. Yeah, the one thing I would like to add there is that I think what you're describing is, is more neoliberalism than classical liberalism. Like sure. I spent... I spent a fair amount of time while I was writing my book, like like trying to parse out like what exactly I mean by neoliberalism, <laughs> because I was a, quite a, like a it, was, it kept coming up in a lot of the stuff I was writing and reading about, and I was like, right, okay, I really need to get my head around it. So that kind of like token tokenism, superficial appeal to you know the right thing um, that that kind of we get from from these big corporations, and often quite honestly from from both politicians and the media as well who who literally don't care about the things that they're pushing or pretending to um is is just i, I it's like the 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 definition for me of of one of the tenets of neoliberalism whereas yeah classical liberalism tends in my mind to at least mean people who you know might might have some you know crazy ideas but will listen to everyone at least um 
But one of the things I wanted to get onto um, with you, and and one of the things that actually makes me very positive about this project, um, is your sort of dismissal of 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 this kind of like fake woke uh, like liberalism that people you know or these corporations are putting forwards. Just like the, the the fact that they don't actually care about the things that they're they're proclaiming to. And one of the things I I kind of just tipped in my mind when I was looking, when I first came across the Bywire news and, and the idea was that a lot of the news organizations that I saw, at least initially, would be what would, at least on the current British political spectrum, be considered fairly left wing. Now, I'd say quite a lot of their ideas are pretty, you know, standard practice and so they seem pretty reasonable to me. But, um, you know, some of them would espouse probably views that we considered quite, quite left in, in probably more social issues than economics. But, you know, it's it anyway, you get you get the point I'm trying to make. So how, how can we ensure or how can you convince people that that this like interwoven group of, of media organizations can be can be trusted to be like fair arbiters of or at least attempting to be fair arbiters of the truth and uh, over you know the, the the mainstream press because there there would be at least i would say in the minds of some of the people i would talk to about this that we could be replacing the kind of establishment right-wing press with just a sort of alternative left-wing press with all the same blind spots just in different areas do you know what i mean Sure. Yeah, that, that's going to be one of the major concerns. And regardless of my own personal politics, that what we came up with, um, you know, for years, basically, I've been trying to put together a coalition of independent media organisations. And that meant we had to do some quite hard work in the early days to define what is independent media and how can you trust it? How can you trust it? Because one of the key things that was always talked about is bias, right? Oh, they're biased, they're biased. And then you get this like false equivalence uh, 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 like let's put up two people so climate change is the obvious one like where everyone talks about like we have a climate denier and we have someone who talks about climate change as if they're like equivalent positions that give not one's fringe lunacy with no evidential basis or, or next to none and, and one's like the scientific consensus on like a threat that's you know a threat to the species and all life on the planet right um anyways <laughs> Bias is inevitable. All human beings have it. All news organisations have it. And also a lot of independent media organisations are commentary and opinion rather than journalistic. You know, like a lot of our partners are those things. Podcasts often are and so forth, you know, um, YouTube channels and so forth. Largely, very rarely journalistic. They're usually a comment and opinion. Um, what we say is this, that independent media is defined by being one financially independent so its sources of income are not from uh multinational corporations or from um uh, the state uh, any state but in this country it'd be say the bbc right um but it could be russia today al jazeera something like that and uh, we say not in the majority not over 50 percent, because sometimes you have to take some you know you have to take some small amount of sponsorship or whatever you know, what we're going to build is an ethical advertising data bank to, to, to help uh, organisations achieve that. But secondarily, how can you trust us? And this is the important bit, right, is that every partner has to be a member of the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists, or the IFJ, the International Federation of Journalists, which there's basically national unions of journalists all around the world. And they have a code of conduct, a code of conduct that basically... Uh, it's as much a trade association as it is a union. It says this is what journalism is. Uh, you know, it has to be factually accurate. You have to accept responsibility for mistakes. You have to fact check, you know, don't reveal sources that don't want to be revealed, so forth, right? Or you have to be regulated in this country by Impress. Impress is a regulator that's, uh, if anyone remembers the Leveson inquiry around phone hacking, it's the only regulator that is of the standard that the Leveson inquiry demanded. Ipso, which regulates the majority of the establishment press, the national press, mm. isn't a regulator. So it has not upheld any uh, complaints officially. There's been no sanctions on anything since it's been founded. It was written by Paul <laughs> Dacre. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a joke organisation. The Constitution was written by Paul Dacre, who, by the way, looks like he's going to be the head of Ofcom, which will... Uh, 
oversee uh, the BBC and advertising standards in this country. Mm. He's got that job off the basis of being the worst, probably purveyor of mistruths in the history of the Daily Mail, which is a long history, uh, a long and terrible history. The Daily Mail, as reported by Nick Davies, who wrote a great book on this, had more than three times more official complaints than any other newspaper in the country. That's more three times more than the Sun. Okay, like this is how bad the Daily Mail was under Paul Dacre, right? This guy, off the back of the hacking inquiry, is allowed to set up a press regulator because none of the national press. That's like, oh, you caught us with our hands in the cookie jar. Yeah, we do hack people's phones, invade their privacy. It's part of the job. You know, we're going to stick by each other. And even The Guardian and all the rest of us, we're all going to stick in one club because really we've all got the same interests and we don't want to be regulated because that means we'd have to do journalism that's factually accurate and we'd have to be held to account. So the previous regulator was terrible, right? This one isn't, isn't a regulator. If so, you may as well not consider it a regulator. It's just a club where people sit around and meet and chat about, like, you know, what they're doing. Then, you know, so, in, so yeah, sorry. I have to get it in there. That's right. Don't worry. It's so, it's so awful. So, yeah, you can trust our news. It's financially independent and it's trustworthy. Also, again, because of the blockchain, you can see there's no anonymity in publishing. There's not going to be anonymous blogs. There's not going to be bot farms. You can't do that through the blockchain. Every author, you're going to know who it is. And again, you'll be able to track their changes, complain to them through the regulator or through their union body, which will have a code of conduct. So, you know, we can't be regulators. It's just too much work. But what we can do is ensure that every publisher on our site is regulated, has a complaints procedure, is part of a a professional body. And, And therefore, you can trust near enough that it's factually accurate reporting. Mistakes will be made. There always will be. And bias will be there. There always will be. But you can trust near enough that it will be factually accurate and reliable information far to a far higher level than anything else that exists in the UK. Certainly more than social media, blogs, or the national press, or even the BBC, which is, you know, um, always been a national broadcaster with its own agenda, but has the standards of its own journalism have been slipping very considerably in, in recent years, especially even the last 18 months to mm. a point where it's, um, it's actually quite frightening and upsetting because, you know, there are those of us who would like to see it reformed rather than abolished. You know, we think there's something valuable that can be saved there, but at the moment, it, there, there are not many trustworthy places to go for news, but you can through Biowire and its partners. And that's going to be working in partnership with the Independent Media Association, which already has made those partnerships on that basis. They work with about 45 independent media organisations at the moment. And that's being hoping, you know, they're hoping to expand that to about 200 organisations within the next 12 months. And that's within the UK. So one of the things I'm curious about, uh, you've mentioned a couple of times, is uh, the ensuring that this group of, of media organizations remains uh, financially independent. Now, um, this gives me an opportunity to say, if you're currently watching this on YouTube or uh, listening, you can check this out on Odyssey. It's uh, like a fairly new video hosting platform um, that's been evolved out of um, LBRY. It was another uh, video hosting platform. So they they are blockchain based and you get paid or I get paid like just for you watching it, um, just based on it generates like little bits of cryptocurrency. It's an absolutely fantastic platform. And I really think that they are going to be challenging YouTube very, very rapidly. Um, I spoke to the CEO and he, yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, great, great, great interview. Um, but... They have created a model whereby uh, you are, by creating content, watching content, interacting with content, you can tip creators with their little currency they've created. And then ultimately, if I want at some point, I can like take those tips and cash them out and exchange them for like actual money. Um, Or I can leave them on the video as tips. Um, and that helps boost the video in like the search algorithm and the rankings. So it's it's like a choice between do I want it to be more visible on the platform or do I want to take some of that money and like use it for myself? It's a, like I really like the model. I'm still 
I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to use it. And I think they'll, they're still figuring out the most useful way to, to be able to help creators become financially independent using this, but they're at least making strides towards this. Um, so how, how is Bywire trying to, to ensure that creators get paid? It, there's one element that's very similar, the tip-based system. You know, um, you know, prior to this point, you'd have to, say, subscribe to a channel that you really like, say, through Patreon, for instance, or, or, you know, setting up a subscription. It's quite cumbersome. It also, again, in a world where you get your information from a lot of different sources, if you like independent uh, media, could, you could be like, consuming 30, 40 different sources. You can't subscribe to them all. Well, you through, through Bywire, you'll be able to just tip the articles that you like, or you can get a subscription system like Spotify where you're paying X amount per month and it'll automatically divvy up on the amount of time you spend on a creator. So you're reading articles for a period of time, uh, you know, like you read a lot from, let's say, Byline Times. Cool. Okay, well, Byline Times are going to get X percentage of your money and that will just automatically happen. So you just give me 10 quid a month. You don't think about it. Jobs are good. And... and that's the way people want things to be. I was working on trying to set up this algorithm, trying to set up this, uh, what Bywire has become since 2014. But I'm not a tech person. I'm a media person. Michael O'Sullivan is the guy who's behind the tech side of this, as well as being an avid sort of newsy person and politically motivated, caring about the world and changing it. You know, he can technically make that happen because previously... In previous iterations, we've used RSS feeds. It's too messy. How do you find your news? Mm. Um, do you know how to tip? Now, there was a method that was used and is still being used in the Netherlands uh, called Decorporty, and they've got about 30, 40 publications on their platform. And you give X amount of money and then you tip within that. But it's all using fiat currency, i.e., you know, currency, you and I recognize pounds, euros, that kind of thing. And the problem is that there's a lot of transaction fees. And again, you know, anytime you're subscribing to someone, especially through Patreon, Patreon take a load of money as well as, say, Stripe or the the uh, the, the money transferal system, uh, like, say, PayPal or something like that. They all take cash. We're getting rid of that middleman. The cryptocurrency enables the, the money to transition even at a micro level. You might want to just give something a thumbs up and a penny. Okay, cool. Like, it helps, you know, like... Um, uh, but you can't do that using pounds and pennies, you know, but you can using the currency that's created on the, the blockchain. So again, you know, a lot of uh, things that people heard about cryptocurrencies is about how, uh, about speculative models, about how if you'd have bought Bitcoin back in the day, you'd have made a load of cash and you've missed out, or maybe you haven't, maybe you should get involved, whatever. And people think of it about being like being on the stock exchange. What we utilizing cryptocurrency for is to make, financial transactions easier and in this case to make sure that financial transactions are supporting good quality journalism there's a great story from decorporate when they told us uh, about their model which really inspired bywire um which was they had uh, two stories come out the same week from different publishers one was a sort of sex scandal about a famous soap star and it was salacious. It was very popular. it did like you know half a million hits or something like that but it didn't make that much money because it's fluff. And someone else had done like a deep three, four month long investigation into TTIP, the, the, the transatlantic trade deal and the Netherlands part in it and what was going to go on with the EU and stuff like that. And it was like a 3000 word essay. And people, uh, several thousand people tipped it about 10 cents a pop. And he made like about 5,000 euros of that, which justifies that amount of work for an investigative piece. So those 5,000 people have just given 10 cents, but the investigative journalists and investigative journalism is the most expensive part of journalism could see the value in publishing just one thing, which, you know, for instance, even say the Guardian or national newspaper, they've shut down their investigative departments because that amount of expenditure for that little amount of copy just isn't financially worthwhile. Well, we can change the way, economics always seems this distant thing, but we can change the way that we value stuff and therefore what what is given value and what gets created. We could start seeing a lot more investigations through this method. We could start seeing a lot more factual 
reporting about things, you know, areas of the country that aren't covered, i.e. not the city centre of London, you know, <laughs> like that, that would be great, right? Like Belfast I, I, I when it's not on fire. Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful city, man. I love it, you know, and I live, I, I used to live in Manchester. I now live in Stoke, right? I'd like to see us in the news, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, there's an element of poverty porn when it comes to places like Manchester and Stoke as well. When, when mm. we are talked about similar to Belfast with, uh, you know, sectarianism, you know, you're just like, there's so much more. People should go to Belfast, by the way. It's an amazing city. Um, people should go to Stoke and, uh, and, and Manchester, full of amazing industrial history and, uh, and uh, you know, great parklands and nightlife and culture wonderful things i'd love to see that reflected in our news production you know um and i think people would pay for it because people love seeing themselves on the map you know yeah yeah they 100 percent do um yeah. will you accept bitcoin <laughs> um, well look it's a i mean first off it's a brilliantly named uh thing so it's great know, right i can't i can't even get mad at like because they're clearly just jumping on the latest bandwagon like like someone someone in the cabinet probably boris has gone could could we get on with this crypto thing would that work for us Rishi, what do you think? And then, like, about, well, I, I can't see why not. And then, then just, like, we call it Bitcoin. That'd be brilliant. Like, I, I, I can literally see the conversation happening. There's no understanding guaranteed of what it actually is or what it might entail or how it could be used um, or how it could be used against them. <laughs> but yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I'd love it because it could be used against them, but also... Do pump should... and dump on Bitcoin and bankrupt them. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking politics for a moment. Say what you will about these awful, awful uh, human beings. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm pinning my flags to mass. No, say what you like about our current government. They're, they are less devoid of ideas than the opposition. The opposition have no yeah. ideas. They represent yeah. nothing. And they have no solutions for any problems, um, which is, you know, a stark contrast to what the opposition was a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, we're relying on new ideas in the political sphere to come from, you know, uh, inbred Etonians. Like, it, it, it's bizarre, but honestly, like, you know, around the football thing that happened currently with the Super League, Boris Johnson sounded prime ministerial and, and Keith, uh, sorry, Keir, Sir Keir Starmer had... A meeting about it do you know what i mean like I, it's and you're like look you had a policy on this that you could re-dig up and go labor's been talking about this we've said we were on the right side of history do you know what i mean you, it was that easy um I, I get very frustrated with the political process and i think we're going to be uh you know, I think if people are looking for answers in the political arena in terms of the electoral political arena, they're going to be devoid of those for quite a while. Uh, I think where we're going to see changes from extra parliamentary actors. And I think, I think Edward Snowden said this. I think he said, until we uh, take control of the means of communication, we're never going to take control of the means of production. There is not that, you know, we're not going to have control of our workplace over our day to day lives until we have some control over the information we get about the world. Because let's be frank, most of us don't want to dig through stuff. We don't have to do research. It's why we used to pick up papers back in the day, you know, like from the news agent. That's what you do. That's why you only go on one platform. You don't have to learn how to use a new one. Like, I don't, you know, oh, okay, Instagram's good. It's got pictures on, right? Like, uh, that's where we're at and 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 why should people want to have to do huge amounts of research we shouldn't need degrees to get accurate information about the world we need to make it as easy as possible for people engaging as possible but also solutions focused we need news that doesn't just tell us the world's crap but also says and here's what we can do about it because uh, why do why is there an optic in interest in news around elections or referenda or something like that? It's because people go, oh well, I should pay attention now because I can actually do something about it. Not because the understanding is is that outside of elections or referenda, for the major vast majority of people, there's nothing you can do about it. So like that that's our default societal position. We need to change that into being active citizens, and that's going to come through the information we get about the world. And again, 
it's not in establishment media's interests to give you information that would challenge the status quo, neither their business interests or their like organizational interest. It's, mm-hmm. it's, in, it's opposite to that. Independent media is, is, it's very much in all independent media's interest to point you towards solutions as well as giving you useful information about the world. So that's why we're on the cusp of doing something I think really, really significant and important. And I think we've already got international publications lined up as well to go global well beyond the uk you know wow okay well that sounds promising but you're you're speaking there to something that that i really have become quite aware to in the past year or two is just the the absolute just degradation of the idea of journalism generally it is so like it is so rare so rare to find really good quality journalism in a mainstream paper at the minute Uh, because that that used to be like what we paid for like that that's what you were that's what you were buying the paper for was to fund the quality journalism like the government used to say something or there would you know be an event and then the journalist would come in and go deep into it they would figure out what's going on what's the you know the cost of whatever policy who is suggesting it were there conflicts of interest like on on any issue and and that just doesn't happen anymore it's just it's it's all like salacious rubbish um and it's all just like like this theater it's 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 become like cnn's political theater just on the the entire scale of our press where they good journalism is so difficult to find and and when you see it it shocks you like i i was reading and i brought this up a couple times in different podcasts with people I was reading last year about, about uh, the Northern Ireland Assembly had had like a late night dis- like debate discussion thing about whether they were going to extend one of the lockdowns. And Sam McBride from the the newsletter, the guy who wrote Burned, uh, which was the book about the, the RHI scandal in Northern Ireland, he basically just wrote on the newsletter a, a, a very beautiful, maybe 1,500 words, 2,000 words summary of what happened. Just, just of what happened, like, like the actual facts of what happened. And I read it and was like, wow, someone's actually told me what has happened. They haven't like given me three lines and then spent the rest of it on some randomer's opinion or just picked out a few random blue checkmark tweets and gone, well, this is clearly the prevailing opinion. He actually told me what happened and it was beautiful. Like what, yeah. what happened to that in your mind? Like where do we lose? Like journalism as a, as a as an idea this in in many ways i'm a materialist you always want to look at the the, the base material motivations for things it, it shapes very much the culture weirdly enough like obviously the, the far right or the alt right would say the inverse they say the you know culture shapes politics mm, but that's the culture theory, isn't it? a material base and what happens is is that like for Every journalist, you need around about a thousand readers for advertising money to make sense to, to be able to afford their wages. And as readership goes down for paid paper publications and this transition to online for the establishment media uh, comes about where you're actually having to pay Facebook, you're having to pay for your your articles to be seen and you and let's get it right establishment news outlets are also propagandist organizations representing a position so they do pay because they do need their their positions to be seen by a large number of people and they need to maintain that market segment for clout but they're not making the money any longer so what happens is is actually you just see a vast swathe of journalists just starting to get laid off or sort of uh, grandfathered out as people retired, no new people are hired. Like a friend of mine went to work for the Daily Mail after qualifying, doing his uh, uh, journalism. And say what you like about the Daily Mail, they did the reporting. They, they're, I think they're the only ones or one of the only ones that still have an investigative department. Mm. Um, he was working for the Mail Online, it turned out. And he was sent 20 pictures a day with no context and just said, write 200 words about this. Sexy Serena Williams skips over a puddle. Right. Serena Williams has won this amount of William Wimbledon titles. And that's his job all day, every day. 60% of trained journalists now work in PR, public relations. Like if you're a trained and qualified journalist and it requires training and qualification, like that's the other thing. Citizen journalism isn't going to replace it because you need to be paid. You need to have expertise. You need to know a patch. You need to be able to, uh, uh, 
you balance the information that's coming in and work out where there are conflicts of interest and, and talk about those best interests that each person has. But, but especially knowing a patch, being a court reporter, being a, a you know, an investigative journalist or environmental reporter or workplace reporter. These are things that are specialists their skills. Mm. You, and you need to not only have the contacts, but you need to understand, say, with workplace reporting, what strike laws are. Like, you know, uh, what uh, a union struggle could look like, what a negotiating table looks like. Mm. So, you know, as well as being able to paint a picture with words that puts the reader in that place. And it just becomes too expensive to do. Uh, because they're not making enough money. And that's why you've seen recently in Australia the fight between Google and the Australian government, because the Australian government is saying what a lot of governments are saying is that we need to maintain essentially these propagandist outlets who've usually put the government of the day in their place. Mm. We have to pay them back that favour. We need to get some money out of these new monopolies into the existing monopolies who are our friends. You know, Viscount Rothermere, who owns the Daily Mail, you know, uh, the Barclay Brothers, who owns the Telegraph, you know, that like we, Rupert Murdoch, obviously, on, in three countries, we, we need to look after him because he's savage and he will ruin our lives if we don't, right? So they have to pay back that favor and they're working out how to get money out of Google. But what Google's not doing is, uh, is giving money to organizations. Um, like that are independent. In fact, Facebook, what they're doing because they don't want to become a regulator because it costs money, it's too hard. They're just like, fuck it. We all shut down all the far right, but also all the left, all the independent media. We'll just we'll just kick it all off. And YouTube is starting to do the same thing because this is political content. It's not worth our time and effort. We don't make enough money out of it. Mm. You know, like, like let's have cats playing pianos. Uh, like, And if people want their news, then we can go with these things that already exist. And all of those things in the past decade have shifted their models from journalism to opinion to uh, and now their model is based around that which is we're now uh, we measure success by clicks not by paying readers we don't have the responsibility of journalism and let, let's be clear journalism the ideals of journalism were built up over a couple hundred years they didn't just start like that um you know like and it was always a thin you know like it, who got access, who got to write in these things. Even if you, you're like great, like Jonathan Cook or John Pilger, right? Um, you're still an old white guy. Like I don't see many working class people uh, of different ethnicities. We don't see majority world people reporting. We don't really talk about the world much any longer. In British publications, there's very much since 2010 a turn inwards which feeds into Brexit and stuff like that. It's too expensive to cover the world and people aren't that interested, you know, but underlying it is this money. It's money. Like, how can we do it? And the same problems will occur for the independent media. Independent media cannot scale up unless we work out ways that we can reach new and wider and bigger audiences, but also make sure that people can easily pay to support the, the journalism they like. And here's one of the key things. We have to create a culture shift a massive culture shift that says this, if we don't pay for our journalism, someone else is, and they don't have our interests at heart. We don't pay for it, someone else is. And we know who they are. They're massive corporations. <laughs> like, you know, Peter Oborn, a conservative commentator, leaves the Telegraph because HSBC are paying so much to the Barclay brothers that he's not allowed to report on the LIBOR scandal, on the scandal, like every other paper's reporting on it, but the Telegraph isn't that. And that's a very extreme example because you don't need to censor your writers. You just select the right ones. Mm. You, like people don't need to be shut up. Mm. Yeah. Like Chomsky's once sitting with um, Andrew Marr. Andrew Marr says, no one ever tells me what to report. And he says... Of course they don't. They don't need to. You wouldn't be here if they needed to tell you what to report on. You're the right person for the job. Mm. Who gets those jobs? So it was already a, a struggling system, but there was a sense that there was values of journalism that existed. That's been changed by the growth of Internet 2.0 and the social media boom. And that's where we have to come in with a 3.0 and, and change things back. Value journalism, people value it. And, and that's where, again, people hate to talk about this, but that's where money matters. Mm. Money matters. We have to pay for it or someone else will. Nothing, nothing, nothing comes for free, especially not information about the world.
Do you think it has to be digital? Because one of the things I, I've kind of thought about is that like, I like my physical thing in my hand. Like, I don't mind reading my news online and whatnot, but when I want to explore something, I, I quite like having it in my hand if it's a book or if it's, say, Private Eye, who have, who have become like so crucial in our news environment and and their success kind of proves that if you do quality work people will pay for it and yeah. and uh, the other the other company that springs to mind is is byline times like i know they they mm-hmm. produce their their monthly like print edition um i talked to to, to harvey uh hardy mataru about it um the editor and uh, and i got me wondering like do do you think it has to be digital is that just where we're at because I mean that's not exactly a bad thing, but I, I'm curious as to whether you think if if people were were producing, say there was a paper out there doing investigative work like Private Eye are doing, like a daily, would they be as successful, or or is there just oversaturation in the kind of like daily news cycle and and it has to be digital? I, I don't think daily news probably has a future in print. The entry costs are just way too high. There's there's talk going around of, of there's always talk, but it's talk going around of creating an aggregated paper with all the independent media sources fill fill it up so you get a bit from Navarra and a bit from Byline and a bit from Declassified UK, mm. right? And you put it into print. The costs of entry are really high. It's not just the printing costs, though those are very high. It's the distribution. Mm. Distribution is extraordinarily expensive, right? But there is a future in print, and it comes, in my mind, from a concept, again, developed in the Netherlands, uh, or, or I've seen in its highest fruition in the Netherlands, which is slow news. Mm. The idea of slow news, which is we take time to reflect on the facts, and then we give you reflection on these. You know, we give you uh, fully rounded journalism when we've got everything together, because we know that a lot of stuff gets missed in instant reaction. You know, a lot of stuff does. Mm-hmm. And we see a growth in publications like Tribune in the UK, which is a socialist paper, uh, publication magazine, a quarterly a journal. You see growth in, um, uh, I mean, you've seen a lot of downtick during the pandemic, massive downtick. But we have partners in the Independent Media Association that we'll work with through Bywire, like Red Pepper, New Internationalist, that are magazines. And I look at subscribing to a bunch of things because I like, I'm old maybe, but I think people still like this. The feeling of a well-designed magazine that turns up, it's like your little treat and you're like, oh, I'm going to get to that later. And then you leave it by the toilet or by the like your coffee table. You're like, I have a chill, catch up with a couple of things. London Review of Books is fantastic, right? Like it's it's got really great, like I learned about like how mi 5 five had offices in the BBC up until the late nineties and they vetted every single person that went on and who was hired by them. And they probably still do, by the way, they just don't have the offices there. Um, (laughs) uh, You can do it remotely now. Um, But you know, you go on there like Tinder, like swiping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not the face for us. They're just like, you know, that that, um, family guy color scale. Um, yeah. <laughs> like holding it up beside them like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> like in the right light um you know uh yeah uh, you know essayists again and, and you see the growth in the us of of of, uh, of journals and and long-form essayists and stuff like that it, it, there is going to be massively that's going to be a part of, i think if anything, we've, we've seen also a growth. There's actually been an uptick in book sales prior to the pandemic and things mm-hmm. like that. Print isn't going to go anywhere, but it is going to be different. And I'm not entirely sure whether Daily Nationals will survive uh, the established ones, let alone any newcomers to the market. I mean, it was tried in the 80s by a left coalition. The trade unions tried to fund one, and it went disastrously wrong. Like, I mean, it was just so bad, so badly done. Like, it's not easy, and you could spend millions of pounds very easily on a mistake. You need to do things like the way Byline Times have done, you know, is build up a presence and support and then have, you know, a periodical. But... Yeah, I'm subscribed to Byline Times. It's great. You know, like it's, I suggest people check out, you know, the Independent Media Association, IMA.press, and you can see all the partners. Bunch of, you know, I get the Radical Art Review. It's great. You know, like it's like, so print is part of the thing. And I think 
when we talk about the future of media, people like to make sweeping statements. We all do. It's, it's exciting. You know, this is dead and this is, this is what everything's going to be. And it's not. What we're going to see is a lot more bespoke uh, patchwork of things. And actually, um, I don't know if you're aware of the third industrial revolution. There's um, that idea that we're going to have like more artisanal, you know, smaller scale production of a lot of things Mm -hmm. that is potentially the way things are going to go because i i think within within media and and if you can access that all in one place that means that you can go yeah i like these guys you know you know oh that's that's cool you know Mm -hmm. and like you know that to me seems seems like the future you can dip in you can have reflections and you can get instant response as well Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that the future becomes less reactionary and less determined to have this sort of immediate cycle of excitement. You know, it's very thrilling, but I'm not on Twitter. I don't spend any time on there. It'd be, it'd be an extraordinary waste of my time because I'm actually trying to achieve things. So accurate. Yeah. What's the point? And it's a left-leaning platform, and it's a lot of left-wingers wasting time, mm. extraordinary amount of time. I think we're defined by our actions. We're defined by what we do, not what we say. If what we say is our action, if we are a journalist, then then absolutely then that defines us. But people aren't there at journalists. What was it originally called? A microblogging site, which, by the way, takes the worst thing on the internet, blogging, and then just, you know, <laughs> dumbs it down even more. Like, it's an appalling platform. It's worse than... Uh, Facebook, in terms of Facebook, at least, is a uh, has an element of connecting with friends and family and communities, and you know has communities of locality. I mean, Twitter is just an opinion machine, and it is for people to be right, not uh, you know, or in fact, you know, the attempt is to be perfect rather than to you know do something of value. And for me, that I hope that's not the future of information. I don't think we all need to be right and perfect. I don't think we can be because we're human beings. I think what we can be is well-informed and we can do our best to make the world a bit better. And together, I think we can achieve that. That is a beautiful message. Uh, that w- w- No one is perfect. And, and I think that we probably need to give people a little more leeway in attempting to navigate a world in which truth is incredibly difficult to figure out in which um, there are so many bad actors trying to manipulate social media feeds, you know, public opinion in, in, in so many unfathomable ways that we can't like, it's, it'd be difficult to sit down and try and consider the ways in which people are trying to influence you via the, via the internet, essentially like even just forgetting legacy media. Um, and, you know, people need to be given, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of the, the benefit of the doubt, I think, on, on some things. And just that's not to say that people shouldn't like should just say things that are, you know, stupid for no for no reason with no justification. But when people are genuinely trying to find the truth, uh, I think we should we should value that a little more. Um, so before we finish, uh, Thomas, do you want to do you want to tell people like where they can find Bywire News um, and maybe give them a few examples of outlets you haven't mentioned to to check out on there? Sure. Well, first off, yeah, you can find Bi- Bywire News at bywire.news. We're still at the stage of just we're just we've just redone the website and we're just starting to bring on the partners sort of two by two over the coming weeks, and we will have a big launch. Um, it, late in summer or early autumn where we uh, put out the app into the world. So, But do check out Bywire News and sign up to the newsletter. We, we put out stuff every week, including a summation of, of some of our partners' work. Check out the Independent Media Association, IMA.press. Out of, uh, like, there's so many good partners on there, it's really hard to single out things. But I think I've mentioned very briefly Declassified UK. I'd really like to underline them because they put out uh, something, a statement the other day where they said, Owen Jones has a million followers. And uh, Phil Miller, who's probably one of the, probably the best investigative journalist in the UK, has 8,000. Yeah. And it's not an attack on Owen Jones per se, like, which is easy sport and a lot of people <laughs> like to do it, right? <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. It's all right. Don't worry. I'll take the rap. (laughs) Yeah. Like a lot of people like to do it and it's not, it's not a criticism of him, but it is essentially that Owen is largely a commentary. He largely does commentary and opinion and discussion. 
but an investigative journalist we're, we're not following and declassified uk are one of the, the few investigative outlets left in the uk and they're producing three pieces a week on foreign affairs and uh, and military matters and things like that that just no one else is covering no one else is covering and as matt Kennard says when he talks about it he says we don't have to dig very deep a lot of this stuff is on their websites like the, <laughs> the foreign office accused them of uh accused declassified uk of of um maligning the british government um over their involvement in supporting the coup government of bolivia mm. over mining rights they said everything we printed is off your website like everything we publish like it's not you know we're not like these it, are the people that run our country and they don't know what's on their own website yeah, you know, like they are obviously doing harder, deeper stuff with FOIs and, and getting specialist reporting, but they're also just, you know, telling us stuff about the world that we don't know. And I just think that's an incredibly valuable thing. And it's not, it, it, it's quite rare and it's quite hard to, it, it's currently quite hard to do, and yet it should be the norm. So I'd encourage everyone to check out DC UK, but go to IMA.press and check out all of those. And if you like them all on Facebook or follow them on Twitter or Instagram, um, you your life would be immeasurably richer. And, and I think you'd be really well informed. And it's a broad, yes, you're going to say that most of them are lefty-ish, like they're on some sort of spectrum there, but they're all trustworthy, factually accurate. And you're going to, and as I say, you're going to, know that their their interests are not their paymasters but in fact yours the reader and their audience that they serve mm. yeah i guess that's that's definitely something that, that we can we can try and ensure by removing the 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 financial clout of the mainstream press is by by going directly to creators to make the stuff that is beneficial to us all and rewarding them we can you know foster a better media culture hopefully yeah. yeah, and our lives will be better and then we can create a better society for ourselves and our kids. Like, But it's going to start here. If we don't get, have the information about the world and what's wrong with it, we're not, not going to be able to change anything. And I think everyone's got that sense. It's an uneasy sense, but that sense that something's wrong, it's not right. Mm-hmm. Things aren't getting better for us. Our generation, Keir Milburn points it out in Generation Left, you know, the millennial generation, which is mine below, 40 and under now, aren't seeing any increase in quality of life as you get older and that's never really happened before mm. and now they're saying like age is a definer of class because older people are able to cash in on the the house the council house sell-offs of the 80s and so forth like that and they have assets that, that younger people don't have but there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on and we we've got that sense and we get enraged sometimes at this thing or that thing but we don't but we still maybe we we think we're being well informed we're sticking with the guardian or we're, 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 you know, uh, or BBC News, right? Like, you know, it's not, it's not the right wing press, but we're still, they're still choosing what we should be focusing on. And actually, if you broaden that out a bit more, you'll find that if you focus on other things, you'll also hear about people who are doing things about it and winning mm. and changing things. And that makes us more enthused about like finding out more about the world and, and, and again, feeling like a citizen that has some control over our own lives as well, because, we have to have some control over society because we're part of society to feel like we have some control over our own lives. And honestly, people ask me, they say, how can you live doing news all the time? It would just kill me. And I'm like, it's actually makes me feel better mm-hmm. because I know, I know more about the world, but I also know more about the people who are doing something to change it. And I feel like I'm part of that. And, and I actually feel a weight, lifted off my shoulders rather than inverse. I can understand if you only dip your toes in during the referenda or elections or or some particular scandal, you're just like, oh my God, the, like this is awful. And you doom scroll it and you stay up all night watching like, you know, some horror getting elected. And then you're like, oh, I, I, I can't pay attention to the news, but if you did it day in, day out, you yeah. might actually find that like it's it, it doesn't stress you out the few times you dip in and then all that rest of the time you're having to sit with that unease that something's wrong, but you can't really do anything about it. You, got, you know, like, so, you know, that's that's my message to people. Mm. Enjoy it and check out bywire.news. Yeah, it's got to be empowering, like being able to know that like, I don't know, I find it, I find it, I do find it like somewhat inspiring. Once you've crossed that, 
that threshold of just essentially ignoring the establishment press. You actually see what's really going on in the world. It's it's the the the, the disconnect and the gap between like what the press are talking about and the real things is so huge. It's yeah. so huge and and it's <laughs> it's it's beautiful to see people attempting to bridge that gap. Um, so Thomas, uh, thanks very much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's a great, great chat. Lovely. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. Get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.